everything you want that you don't have is just outside your comfort zone. You're going to have to ask for something and risk rejection, invest money and risk losing it, stand up in front of people and say things that might not go over well or might get you rejected or you give your first speech and it doesn't go over. But the point is you can't get more of what you want by continuing to do the same thing you're doing or the more would have showed up already. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. This man is someone whose work I've been following for close to 30 years. He is the legendary co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books. He is a man who's been called America's coach. He's a man who's known as a true heart leader as well as a thought leader. He is none other than the one, the only, the legendary Jack Canfield. Welcome to the show, Jack. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Nikki. Oh, Jack, the honor is mine, my friend. So, Jack, All of my listeners are going to know who you are, but they may not have all heard your story. So why don't you share your story? How'd you get from where you started, just a guy with a dream, to being Jack Canfield, truly one of the world's top 10 thought leaders? Well, it all started when I was teaching high school in Chicago. I was teaching uh, American history. It was an all-black school. And I became much more interested in why the kids weren't motivated to learn than I was in teaching history. And so I really wanted to figure out how can I inspire and motivate these kids to believe in themselves, to go for their dreams, to believe they could learn and succeed and so forth. And I ran across a place called the W. Clement and Jesse V. Stone Foundation. And W. Clement Stone was a self-made multimillionaire worth $600 million. He'd written a book called The Success System That Never Fails. He was a close friend of Napoleon Hill. And so I went there to take a couple of workshops. And while I was there taking these workshops, he said, we'd like to hire you because we don't have anyone that has experience in the inner city schools. And so I ended up working for the Stone Foundation, teaching principles of success uh, way back in the night, I guess what, about 1969, 70, something like that. And I got to go all over the Midwest uh, teaching these principles. And then one day I was at a conference and this guy said, you should come to the University of Massachusetts where I'm a professor and get your doctorate in psychological education. I'll give you a full scholarship. So I said, sure, because uh, I knew what I was doing was working, but I didn't really know all the theory behind it, and I wanted to. So I went there, and I spent about four years in graduate school, got an MA, got what's called an ABD, all but dissertation, and I wrote a book called 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in a Classroom, and it took off and sold 400,000 copies, which is insane for the education world. And uh, that led me into consulting all over the country. And then I started, I married a, a psychologist who taught me how to do psychotherapy. And this was before licensing laws in in Massachusetts. And so 
I had a private practice doing psychotherapy during the, w- the week, doing workshops for teachers on the weekends. And then I uh, started a growth center, uh, like the, some people have heard of Esalen Institute, Omega Institute, places like that where people would come in residence. So we bought 11 acres of land, built a big building and started training people in gestalt, psychosynthesis, transactional analysis, tai chi, yoga. We had like probably 40 weekends a year, we, we had workshops going on there. And then um, I got a, I took a training called Insight Training Seminars, and it was a big training company in California. And so I had never run trainings that were like 300, 500 people at a time. So I moved to LA, I joined this organization, became a, a trainer. Uh, we were doing, sometimes I'd be on the road 17 weeks in a row running these five-day trainings. So I got really good at it. And it was uh, called Awakening the Heart. And I uh, later discovered the leader was kind of a cult leader. And so I quit and I started my own company called Self-Esteem Seminars, which now has morphed into the Campfield Training Group. And so primarily I was working with education until the Gulf War, all the money dried up for teachers. And so basically we started doing more public seminars again for the general public. And then... I had this epiphany coming back from a, a workshop on the East Coast. People kept saying, that story about the puppies, is that in a book anywhere? That story about the Girl Scout who sold 3,000 Girl Scout cookies, you know, boxes, is that in a book anywhere? I'd say, no, 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 no. So I'm coming back on this plane, and I thought, maybe I should write a book. I'll put all these inspirational stories in it. And that became Chicken Soup for the Soul. And... Uh, as a lot of people have heard, that book was rejected by 144 publishers over the course of 16 months, and then um, finally got a publisher, and the title came from a meditation where I just asked the universe for a title, and on a third day of meditating for an hour each day and waiting for the title to come, a hand came out and wrote Chicken Soup on this green chalkboard, and I said, what the heck does Chicken Soup have to do with this book? And this voice said, your grandmother gave you chicken soup when you were a kid, when you were sick. And I said, but this is not about sick people. I said their spirits are sick. They're living in resignation, hopelessness, and fear. I thought chicken soup for the spirit. No, chicken soup for the soul. I got goosebumps. My uh, co-author got goosebumps. My wife got goosebumps. Our literary agent got goosebumps. No one in New York, New York got goosebumps. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> it took us, as I said, 16 months to to sell the book. But then when the book came out, we started doing this, what we call the rule of five, do five actions every day to market that book. And so our book did not hit a bestseller list until 14 months after it came out. And uh, we hit the, the uh, uh, Washington Post, number 15. It started climbing up. About a month later, it hit the New York Times, number 15, climbed up slowly to number one, stayed there for three years. And at one point, we had seven books on the New York Times bestseller list uh, on the same week. And that was because... Very, you know, a lot of times you'd see in the end of a book, there'd be a few blank pages. And that's because they print these things in like folds of 16. And sometimes it doesn't take up all those pages. And our publisher said, do you want to put something on one of those pages? And I said, let's just say, if you have a story, send it in. Maybe we'll do another book. Well, we started getting 500 stories a day sometimes, just big banker's boxes full of letters and stories. And so that led to a second helping of chicken soup for the soul, a third serving, a fourth course, a fifth pod. You know, just, and then, <laughs> then one of my friends said, we should do a book for so all, for women. It should be all women's stories. I said, that's a good idea. I started walking away. And she said, no, come back. I said, what? She said, you should do it with me. And I said, why? She said, it was my idea. And besides, I'm a woman. <laughs> It'll give you more credibility. <laughs> so 
that was Marcy Shimoff, who's we I think we did nine chicken soup for the soul books with her. And then she went on to write, you know, uh, love for no reason and happiness for happy for no reason and so forth. She's a best selling author now. And so that's kind of how all that evolved. And then about I would say about seven years ago, after doing 220 chicken soup books, um, we we'd sold about a half a billion copies around the world. And we decided to uh, I just you know, what happens is the the passion dropped out for that. You know, it's like stories that were supposed to be inspiring me weren't anymore. And so I thought maybe I'm getting a little jaded. So we sold the company to a group in New York for a lot of money. And um, it took a year off to decide what am I going to do next? And that's when I wrote The Success Principles. And that book now is sold close to a million and 50 languages around the world. And that's what I've been doing the last seven years is running seminars on success and doing keynote speeches and doing training trainers. We've now trained 3,000 trainers in 107 countries to teach this work. So that's a long backstory, but there you go. I've been sitting at the edge of my seat the whole time, even though I've heard portions of it by, uh, when I've been in the room with you. Or I actually, I originally met you, Jack, back in, I think it was 2005 or six. You were in Toronto and you just come out with the success principles. And I bought it on audio. Uh, and I hardly ever buy books on audio. I love reading books. I love paper books. I, I, I've read 90 books so far this year, right? And it's not even, it's the middle of September and my goal is to hit 120. Yeah. But I, I got yours in audio and I must have listened to that book 200 times, you know? Wow. I, I know. It was in my car every day, <laughs> every day. And then I uploaded it to my iPod at the time and now iPhone. And I'll tell you, Jack, it's had a lot to do with my success. When I met you, I was uh, on my way up, uh, would be a charitable way of putting it, <laughs> you know, and, uh, because of you and because of other great mentors that I've had, I've managed to create some success for myself. This is a pretty good podcast we've got. It's the number one podcast for thought leadership besides yourself. We've had guys like John Maxwell, Dr. Kemp Blanchard, Mary Forleo, Tony Hawk, who's the great skateboarder, lots of other really, really cool people on it. And mm -hmm. the most powerful of your success principles for me was one of the first ones, which was take 100% responsibility for everything in your life. And right. when I first heard that, that was really hard for me to accept <laughs> because I, I just thought of all <laughs> the people that had done me wrong, you know? And, and, right. and, and Jack, it, uh, just recently, there's a fellow who's really done me wrong. He owes me a whack of money and, he, and he, he, he's been stringing me along. And finally I confronted him and he fessed up. He says, I have no intention of paying you. Not now, not ever. <laughs> and, um, there was a time where I'd be so angry at this guy. I'd spend like days and weeks just fuming, saying it's his fault. And right now I'm like, you know what? It's not nice. It's not great. No, no question. No kidding. But I'm just cutting ties with this fellow. I'm cutting the negative emotions out of my life. And a, a big part of it is I'm looking at this as what did I do that contributed to this? What did I do that allowed this situation to come into being, not like I'm bad or wrong or there's something wrong with me, but like from a position of power. And you did that for me, Jack, so thank you. You're welcome. You know, some people spend way too much time being upset with the world. And, um, you know, you're probably familiar with Byron Katie's work, Very book so. Loving What Is. And what I learned from her in the car, driving from L.A. to Santa Barbara one night, listening to one of her workshops that someone, I think they bootlegged because <laughs> it was really badly recorded. But anyway, it was like that. there's absolutely no value in being upset with people. It just 
takes energy out of you. And uh, it is what it is. And you can't change it. And, you know, look at, look to see how you created it if you did. And then if, if you did, how can you uncreate it in the future? You know, don't, don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over. I was reading a quote from, uh, I think it was Nelson Mandela. He said, I never lose. I always learn something. Even if I, even if I lost, I, I, I learned something from it. So if we can learn from it and move on. I, w- I had a woman in a workshop. I was giving a speech somewhere in Southern California a couple months ago, and this woman came up and, on a break, and she said, you know, you talked about like, you know, giving, you know, forgiving people and, and, you know, all like, got to let go of the past, embrace the future. And I said, yeah. And she said, I just can't do that. I said, why not? So well, my dad, when he died, he left my sister three times more money than me. And she didn't deserve that. I said, well, how long ago that happened? She said, 20 years ago. And I said, you're still carrying that around and being upset? Well, yes, it's wrong. <laughs> I said, well, guess what, though? Every time you think that thought, how do you feel? She said, really ticked off. And I said, how much of your time do you spend? She says, a day doesn't go by where I don't think about it. And I said, well, you've wasted a lot of time in your life because your sister's not going to give you the money. Your dad's not going to come back. And you're just upset. What would happen if you let that go and just figured that's the way it is? And she finally went, you know, you're right. I don't know if she did it or not, but the point being that we spend so much of our time upset. I know what Katie says is like, you know, uh, whenever you argue with reality, reality always wins. And so it's just not not a good use of time. So I I think it, it is valuable. You know, I don't sit high enough in consciousness to know that every single thing that ever happened, if a plane falls out of the sky right now and, and your house burns down and you die in it, did you create that? I don't know for sure, but here's what I do know for sure. If you act as if everything that happened to you, you created it, promoted it, or allowed it to happen, then what happens is you start looking to see how you did that, like you're looking right now, as you said, and sometimes you find it. And when you find it, you can say, wow, I don't want to do that again. I learned something here. It was it was partially my fault, or I did set it up that way, or the reason I got hit was I was taunting that guy, you know, whatever it was. And so I think it's really valuable to take it in. I teach this formula, as you know, called E plus R equals O, that there are events in your life which are just neutral events that happen. There's an earthquake. It's your birthday and your friend doesn't call you. Your wife forgets, you know, to buy you a Christmas present. Whatever it is, it's just an event. And then you have a response to that event. You either think a thought, you take an action, or you bring up an image in your head. And then you get an outcome. And if your outcomes aren't what you want, the event is always there. It's like two plus two is four. And if you don't like four, the universe has already done two or continues to do two. If you want five or six, meaning more wealth, more happiness, more social joy in your life, more peace and and harmony and all that, you've got to do something other than the two you've been doing all along. You've got to do three or four, which means you're going to be uncomfortable. Because every new behavior you've never done before requires you to step out of your comfort zone. And most people are not willing to be comfortable. I was just in a a conference where there's a woman named Anita Sanchez, who's a uh, half Mexican, half uh, Native American. And she had just been to about nine ceremonies, meaning meeting with elders from all these different places, sun ceremonies and things like that. And she said, one of the things that every one of these, you know, Aboriginal or Native tribe leaders said is the people of the North, meaning the people of America, are too addicted to comfort. We're unwilling to be uncomfortable. 
And as you know, I often say, everything you want that you don't have is just outside your comfort zone. You're going to have to ask for something and risk rejection, invest money and risk losing it, stand up in front of people and say things that might not go over well or might get you rejected or you give your first speech and it doesn't go over. But the point is, you can't get more of what you want by continuing to do the same thing you're doing or the more would have showed up already. Jack, that's on point 1,000%. Over the weekend, I did a, um, a program with a man named Steve Pressfield. Steve Pressfield uh, wrote a book you may have heard of called The War of Art. And he also mm-hmm. wrote um, a novel that became a very famous movie called The Legend of Bagger Vance with uh, Matt Damon and, and Will Smith. And I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie, movie too. But the War of Art is is a very powerful book that I, I loved it so much. I bought 50 copies. I gave it to a bunch of my clients and friends. And it, it it's powerful because the War of Art talks about what it takes to be successful as an artist, as a writer, because that, that's what Steve is. And, and, and he says that, in his view, an entrepreneur is an artist. You know, Seth yes. Godin says entrepreneurs are artists, artists ship, right? Um, I had the privilege of interviewing Seth uh, a couple years back, and that was one of, the, one of the things that he taught me. And inside mm-hmm. The War of Art, he talks about that we live in two planes. We live in the material plane, and then we live in a higher plane. And that was the best term he could come up with for that. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, the way to be successful in life is for you to access that higher plane. In the material plane, your life ends. In the higher plane, it doesn't. You're eternal. You go on forever. And everything great about you, everything great that you come up with, comes to you from the higher plane. So when you came up with the name Chicken Soup for the Soul, that came from the higher plane for you. You were meditating. You were open to that channel. But he talks about how there's something he called resistance. And he says resistance is evil, and resistance will try to knock you off course and sometimes makes you think it's you. It's it. It's It's a little bit like the concept of the ego. Uh, as well. And I'm sitting there listening to this man, one of the brightest thinkers I've ever come across, explain all this to me. And I realized that I've been playing small. There's a number of things I've wanted to do that I, I've just not wanted to get out of my comfort zone to do. So there's a couple of things I'm facing right now. My father right now, who's 81 years old, who's my hero, he, he he's not doing so hot. He's in a hospital. He may not make it. Right. And mm-hmm. um for the longest time, during this time where he's been in a home, I was afraid to go see him because I felt helpless and hopeless. And now where it looks like he might be gone, I am, I am, I can't wait till I finish everything I have to do to the day to run to the hospital to be with him, to hold his hand, to tell him that I love him. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Right. It's out of my, uh, my comfort zone. It, 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 it's, it's not convenient, but it's an honor to do it. And, and when I get to get out of my comfort zone, and keep my eye on what I really want, what my purpose in life is, then everything becomes great. And part of my purpose in life is to love and to share love with with you know my father and the other great people around me. And what you just said, I think, is all about that. Because someone like me, someone like someone listening to the show, we probably have allowed the desire for comfort to overtake us and to prevent us from living life as the best version of ourselves. Wouldn't you say so? 
Absolutely. No, I, as you were talking, I was thinking just uh, two days ago, I was sitting at a luncheon table at a conference, Transpersonal Leaders, and there was a physicist there. His father and his mother were both NASA physicists. He was a physicist. His daughter had just graduated in physics. So a family of brainiacs. And what happened was he was talking about quantum physics and how that he had come to the conclusion after studying all this stuff, and this guy was probably 65 years old, that Basically, the mind gets in the way, the intellect gets in the way of the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of the expression of, of creativity in the world by all of its thinking. And if you meditate, what happens, I was just listening to Lance Secretan the other day, he's a leadership guru, and he was talking about the gap between thoughts. Between every thought, there's a gap. It's very short for most people. But what happens is when you meditate, you begin to create bigger gaps between your thoughts. And that's where the creativity has a chance to come through in that silence. And so when you get these inspirations, when you feel these intuitive impulses to, to act or to do something, write a book or, you know, title something Chicken Soup for the Soul. I started the Transformational Leadership Council when I had a download like that. Pretty much everything I've ever done that really worked well came from that kind of internal introspective moment where something came through, an inspired thought. And when I acted on it without fear, maybe sometimes with fear, but pushing it aside, and then great things would happen. But we have all these thoughts that get in the way. I can't do that. I can't afford it. I'm not qualified enough. I don't know anybody. People will laugh at me. I mean, it was a big deal just to sell chicken soup for the soul because I was the chicken soup guy. I, I mean, I, that was my identity and I, it paid off really well. I, got, I made a lot of money. I got to present everywhere in the world because almost everyone had read or been seen, you know, had seen a chicken soup for the soul book. And now, that was a risk for me, but something in me said, it's time. You got to let that go. And so it's like, um, it's like the snakes in order to grow, they have to molt, you know, they have to, their skin has to come off. And so all of these roles and identities we take on become like these limiting skins that we have to shed and let go of and go back to, in a sense, starting over, but you're never really alone because you're being guided by a higher power. And one of the things he said that was really interesting is that at any given moment in time, there's infinite potentiality. In other words, anything can happen and you can choose to do anything right now. And so what happens is that there's this new term called quantum evolution. And what it means is that in any given moment, the whole universe is intending to evolve for the highest good of all. And so every, if you take that point of view, everything that happens to you can be seen as a good thing. I'll give you a quick example in my own life. So 21 years ago, I got divorced from my ex-wife and I had fallen in love with another woman. Our relationship was pretty dead, you know, the one I was in. And so it, you know, it just was time to, to move on. And the divorce started nicely in a sense we were negotiating with the mediator and then the lawyers got involved and then she her lawyer said you know he, he'll make money the rest of his life he never will long story short she got all the money which was you know close to 10 million dollars and i got to keep my company which they valued at 10 million dollars but i couldn't sell it so at the time so i kept my job she got all the money and i was really upset really ticked off this shouldn't be not fair because i'd offered her half of my income for the rest of my life you can have half of everything i earned the rest of my life because you've been with me 20 years while i was building all this she said, no, I want to take the, you know, the money now. So I was left with literally nothing except my job. And so what happened is, you know, 
when we sold chicken soup for the soul, I, we sold it for like, you know, over $60 million. She would have got half of that, which is way more than what I gave her. And so the universe, in a sense, was looking out for me, but I didn't know it at the time. Now, I'm 75, so I have a lot of gray hair and I have a lot of experience. I've now come to the point where whatever happens, I go, I wonder what the blessing in this is, because it always turns out to be for me. I think it's, um, uh, can't think of the guy's name, he's a country singer. Anyway, he, he, he wrote a song, you know, going back to the high school reunion, and there's a girl he yeah, thought Garth he was going to die if she didn't marry him. And I, Garth Brooks, yeah. And, and this woman is now fad, and she's an alcoholic, and he said, well, thank God for our innocent prayers. So I think, you know, we have to learn to trust in that inner guidance and, and also the outer events that happen in our lives. We have to have intentions, and we have to move forward and use all the things we know about goal setting and visualization, affirmation, taking action, responding to feedback, having mastermind groups, all that stuff. But at the same time, hold it all very lightly because we're on a journey that has some incredible benefits if we get out of the way and just allow it to happen through us as us. That's that's very true as well, Jack. I could just sit here and let you talk the whole time. My God, you're you're, you're just you're just so articulate and so brilliant in the insights that you bring forward. Um, you know, a little while ago, a couple of things happened that I thought were were horrible. One of them was that I used to have a partner. He did the show with me. We had a company together, and and you know what, things didn't work out, and 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 we split apart. And then I bought him out, and I, 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 you know, I loved the guy. He was like a brother to me. And then we didn't have a relationship anymore. And I found out that he's decided to start his own company, similar to what we do. At first, I was a little annoyed. I'm like, "What's going on? Why is he doing this?" You know, he didn't want to do this with me. And and oh my God, I bought him out, even though I didn't put anything in the agreement that said he couldn't do this. He, he perfectly had every right to do this. And I looked at it as this is this is a terrible thing, but. Lately, I can't even tell you why. I, I don't really understand it, but it, it seems like that that higher realm that Steve Pressfield was talking about is speaking to me more. And, and I'm actually looking at this as a brilliant opportunity because a big part of what we're doing now was was his. It was his vision and his mission, and I love it. I, I love the people we serve, but because I, I let go of some of that anger something new ha has come to the fore. And what it is, is mm. my better half, who I think you met in, in, in May, uh, she mm -hmm. spent 20 years running clinics. She ran some dental clinics, some uh, psychology clinics and other clinics. And she really helped those folks grow their clinics and turn them into million dollar clinics. She's amazing with people. She understands how to create a powerful culture. She understands things that need to be done in order to keep patients coming back. She understands how to speak to, to former patients to get them rejuvenated. That's a technical term in the industry. And we had a couple of people come into our business that were um, owners of clinics. And it started to really click with them. They loved what we were doing, and but they also loved all this technical stuff about managing clinics that Teresa understands. So we helped them stand out. We helped them position themselves as thought leaders. But we also brought to them this really, really powerful way of treating their practice as a real business, things they weren't taught. And all of a sudden, it's working. And I think this is going to be the future for us. We're going to be able to attract a lot of people from this space and help and serve and help a lot of them. I mean, we're still going to work with coaches and consultants and leaders and all that good stuff, but we think this is going to be powerful. And if I hadn't let go of any animus that I had toward this man, it would have never worked out. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's so true. I mean, two things about that. I Sometimes I'll demonstrate that to people in my workshops. Take your hands and then pretend you close your hands and pretend you're holding on to some anger, some resentment, some beliefs about how the world should be. Now, I'm going to give you some money. What do you have to do? You have to open your hands. You have to let go of that which you're holding on to in order to allow the new thing to come in because there's no place to let it in if your hands are occupied. So basically by letting go of the resentment, letting go of the belief that you were you know, done wrong, whatever, uh, it, it creates space for the new thing to come in. It's like your your arms and your hands are open to receive that new. And I think the other thing that happens is, you know, if you walk into a room and there's someone really angry over in a corner, unless you're also really angry, you're not going to go over there. It's not a it's not an inviting energy. And when you're there radiating love and joy and having a good time, people want to be around that. You know, sometimes I'll do these exercises in my advanced trainings where I have the whole group, you know, 300 people milling around with their eyes closed. And they have to make contact with other people with their eyes closed. And not, nothing sexual, but just, you know, people hold hands, they dance, they hug, they do all kinds of stuff. But invariably what happens is some people start doing something that makes them laugh. Maybe they're tickling each other. Maybe they're jumping up and down together. And then half the group starts gravitating toward where the laughter is, even though their eyes are closed. So we are attracted to expansive energy. And the other thing I would say, too, you know, I've had business partners leave and start their own companies and compete with me. But if you think about how things evolved, the cells in your body, they divide. They create two cells, and then those two cells divide and create four cells. So your partner and you are just having more impact than perhaps you ever would have had alone. So all these ideas you had are now serving more people than you might have served if you'd been together. And I think that's how these things evolve. You know, that's a great way to look at it, and I'm going to take that on. That's fantastic. Look, I still love him. He's he's like a brother to me in many ways, even though right now we're not close. I, I hope that I'll change at some point. And uh, mm -hmm. he is a good man. He does want to make a difference for people. And uh, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. He, he's the guy who introduced these concepts to me in the first place. So I owe him a lot. And yeah. uh, I, I, uh, I, I'm really appreciating this conversation. I mean, I, I think my listeners are going to love it. It's wonderful for the show to have someone of your stature on it. But I'm learning a ton myself. Thank you, Jack. You're welcome. So, Jack, What's next? What's the way in which you're seeking to make an impact in the world in the future? Talk about that. Well, right now I'm working on three books, and there's a fourth one I want to write that I need to finish these three so I can, because I think it's going to be my biggest book. But I'm working on a book with Raymond Aaron called The Power of Wow, and how do we create wow experiences for our customers and our clients so they talk about it. Like, you know, if you go to High Point University, which is run by Nito Cubane, everything right there, you just go... You just go, wow, you know. I mean, my favorite story is about the, the laundromats. In college, I would go to the laundromat. I'd have to have quarters and soap, and then half the time I, I wouldn't. And then the uh, washers and the dryers would be full of other people's stuff who'd left it there for two hours. And so he found out that when he took over High Point University, that all the kids were upset. The guys were stealing the girls' underwear out of the dryer, putting them on their bulletin boards, like pretending they made love to them and stuff. And they, you come downstairs, and there'd be, you know, wet laundry there for an hour, you couldn't put your clothes in because you want to touch other people's. 
So what he did was he made the soaps free, the the, laundry, the the laundromats are free. You have to put your student ID card into the washer or dryer. It opens up only them. And then as soon as it stops, you have five minutes. It, it, it sends you a text message. You've got five minutes to come down and get it out of there or it won't open for you for a month. So everything moves very nicely. And when I heard that, I went, wow, that's really cool. And there's a million wows. And so... You know, every time I go to a Ritz-Carlton hotel, there's a wow experience. We interviewed somebody that was the head of the Ritz-Carlton somewhere down in the Caribbean, forgetting the exact island right now. But anyway, there was a kid there, and they got to the airport after they were at this hotel. Uh, and what happened was the uh, boy, who's four, had left his uh, little giraffe, stuffed giraffe, and he started to cry. And the parents call, and they say, you know, my son left little Joshy there. Can you look for him? He's inconsolable. We don't have time to get back to the hotel. They found him. They sent a text with a picture, but they put sunglasses on Joshy. And they said, Joshy just decided he want to stay for another couple of days. And so about four days later, they get a leather bound scrapbook type thing with pictures in it. Uh, along with Joshi, and their pictures are of him uh, at the getting a massage in the in the spa, sitting on the chaise lounge out in the sun with sunglasses on, in a golf cart with golf clubs. You know, and he and, and he said, you know, Joshi just wanted to stay longer, and they sent his brother some gifts too. And now they go back to that Ritz Carlton every year for five years, because that was a wild experience. So, ask yourself, no matter what business you're in, how can I have a wow experience for my clients? So if you go into a seminar, some of my seminars will be a gift on the seat when you walk in, an expensive gift. And you go, I wasn't expecting that. Wow. You know, or we might, you know, provide you for dinner for free that night when you weren't expecting it. You go, wow. And so I'm, I'm doing that book. I'm writing a book with a woman named Lisa Janelle up in Canada. Um, oh, the, I know her. She's a lovely lady. Yes. And we, she does this process of going back and releasing limiting beliefs. And um, I do something very similar. So we decided to uh, you know, partner up on that. And it's going to be, you know, also there'll be a downloadable guided visualizations that'll take you through that. And then I'm writing a book called Living the Success Principles, which is all stories of success of people who've done my trainings. Um, for example, there was a woman, she owned a cosmetology type thing where she's selling cosmetics through the mail. And she was in a warehouse one night and she was carrying a box and someone had left the box. Unfortunately, she tripped, hit her head on a steel casement going down then hit it on the floor again, had severe brain damage, was told she'd never walk normally again. She uh, saw the secret. She read my book. She started visualizing walking. And within a month, she walked out of the hospital. And wow. so those are the kind of stories that, you know, are in that book. And, and then I want to write a book, which is my real, real, real opus magnus I want to write. I think it's the most important book I'll ever write is the, the idea of choosing love over fear. And most people are living by fear. We just talked about you get these downloads of things you should do and then fear sets in. I can't do that. I'll lose my money. I'll lose my reputation. Like right now, I just decided that I'm going to support Marianne Williamson's campaign for president in America. Now, she's a long shot, but she's a she's someone who believes all the things that we all believe in. And I'll probably lose 10% of my mailing list. And I said, you know what? Our democracy is too fragile right now uh, to not do that. And so I was guided internally to stand up inside myself and say, this is the right person with the right ideas, who's not corrupt, who's not bought off by all the lobbyists. And, and those are hard decisions, but they get easier all the time. Because as I tell my clients, you have survived everything that ever happened to you. 
or you wouldn't be here. Mm. So, so what's the big deal? You know, think about all the things you thought you were going to die if that happened. If she left you, if you lost your business, if you lost that client, if your partner left you, like you said. And yet here we are, two, three, five, ten years later, we're fine. And so we have to stop being so scared. I love that. I think that's fantastic and good for you to, you know, want to stand up for someone whose ideas you believe in. I'll tell you mm-hmm. this. I'm, I'm an immigrant from the Middle East. I'm from Iran. I'm a Christian from Iran. We left mm-hmm. Iran right after the Islamic Revolution. It wasn't a great time to be there, although they weren't right. shooting and killing us like they are Christians in other countries in the Middle East, especially under ISIS. And I came here and what I value and love about Canada, the U.S., the West, is is democracy and freedom. And one of the most beautiful things I saw was that people could disagree politically and still be friends. People could disagree politically yes. and not, not uh, blow up their business or blow up their relationships. Like back home, if you supported the wrong person, you could lose everything, including your life. And what really upsets me right now is there's a lot of so-called tolerant people who are completely intolerant of anybody having a different opinion than they do. And, 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 and you know, yeah. Uh, Jack, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. We're not a third world uh, tin pot dictatorship. This is the United States of America. And this is Canada, and especially the United States, the greatest nation in the history of the world. The nation that, in my opinion, is the only indispensable nation in the world today. And what makes America great is that people are free and they're free to speak. They're free to support whichever candidates they please. You know, and for somebody to say, oh, because you support candidate X, that means you're a horrible person and I can never speak to you again. That is, to me, the very definition of fascism and tyranny. And that's why I left the country that I left, although my parents took me. I was too young (laughs) at the time. And that's why I'm so grateful to be here. Good for you. I'll say two things. Number one, I've been to Iran twice, in oh, Tehran, wow. and, uh, and there's a guy over there who brings speakers in. He's brought me and John Gray and not John D. Martini and uh, other people, Brian Amazing. Tracy, and so forth. Yeah, and I was shocked. You know, that when I got there, there were 800 people in my workshop, and I said, "How how do you even know about me?" Turns out they were bootlegging my books. Iran does not. Honor international copyright law. I know that, and uh, <laughs> so they, they they publish anything they want, which I was surprised. And uh, then this guy came up to me and he handed me ten thousand dollars in cash, and I and I said, "What's that for?" He said, "Well, we've been selling your books over here for years. We made a lot of money. We'd never have said." paid royalties, but I just want to give you this so I can feel good about it. So, but the thing I want to say about Iran, I'm checking out of the hotel in Tehran about four in the morning to catch the plane to Dubai to come back to the United States. And this young 22 year old reaches, he looks around, he reaches over the counter, he goes, I love your country. And I thought, wow. And what I realized is that the people in every country, tend to love the people in other countries. It's the leadership that 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 gets in the way, you know, and tells us what we can and can't do, and that's that's the problem. But here's what I I know that most people don't talk about: when Trump got elected president, he surfaced a group of people who were feeling totally marginalized, un unlistened to. Like the politicians didn't care about them. These were the coal miners, the steel workers, all the people that lost their jobs in the Rust Belt. And nobody was talking to them or really working to protect them. And so he, I think, took advantage of that and mobilized that that group of people. And 
so he did the country a favor to say it's kind of like you've got a brother that nobody in the family is paying attention to. And so that brother starts being really ticked off about it. And when he finally gets a little attention, gets a little mad at you for not being with all the years that, you know, he was being. So I think there's a lot of anger that has to be dissipated and released before we'll start listening to each other again. It's kind of like reparations in South Africa. You know, you can't just say, okay, now we have apartheid's over. All those black people who were, you know, had under the thumb of the white people in South Africa needed to be heard. And so there's a lot of people right now needing to be heard as soon as that hearing takes place so we can listen to each other and really hear, here's where my pain was, and this is what I need to be included, to be noticed, to be included in your policies and not called – I mean, Hillary Clinton made a big mistake when she talked about the deplorables. That she was, said these are not a good line. <laughs> Yeah, with their Bibles and their guns. And that, that's like telling someone you're 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 subhuman, you know. So anyway, but we all learn from that. We all we're not the same people we were before that happened. So there's evolution occurs, you know, people have fights in their marriages and they, they make up and they get on. And I think we'll do that in this country. Well, I say with men like you leading the way, it'll it'll happen. But uh, some of the folks on the political side are uh, uh, they're just driving me crazy, especially the ones who claim to be tolerant. Liberals, liberal, the word liberal means free, <laughs> means people are free to speak. And when someone calls himself a liberal and then because someone else says, well, you know what? I don't agree with your views. All of a sudden they start attacking them as being subhuman and trying to, to as you say, uh, pretend their views don't matter and, and, and calling them racist. I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I've experienced real racism, Jack. I'm, I'm a Christian from Iran. Okay. When I was 11 sure. years old, someone threw a Molotov cocktail through our living room window with a note on it that said, die Christian scum. It didn't explode. That's the only reason you and I are talking right now. Right. Wow. And uh, there, I could tell you dozens of stories of being accosted on the street, having my cross ripped off my neck. We had to, we had to stand up for ourselves. Okay. So I know what real racism is. I've actually experienced it. We experienced it in terms of ha getting housing. We experienced it in terms of what kinds of business contracts we could go after because my father was a business owner there, et cetera, et cetera. I come to North America, and one of my big pet peeves is people start calling everybody a racist right now. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Y you know what? Calling someone who is of a different skin hue than you, they're, you know, a, a black person or Hispanic person doesn't make you a racist. Using, using those terms don't make someone a racist. If you disagree with somebody and they happen to be of a different race than you and you disagree with them politically, your disagreement with them doesn't make you a racist. And if someone calls you that, to me, they're doing a disservice to all the people who've actually been victims of real racism, real discrimination. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. I, I think yeah. people need to stop throwing that term around so cavalierly. It's got to stop. All it's doing is upsetting people and pulling them apart. And I very much am unhappy with politicians who do that. Our politicians should stop trying to take advantage of people and saying, these people are against you. These people hate you. Stop doing that. The world I experience in 2019 is that the average human being loves their fellow human being. You're, you know, a sure. white American. I'm a brown Middle Eastern guy. You know, Raymond is of a Jewish background. My good friend uh, is uh, Hispanic. We, we all have gotten to know each other. We care about each other. We don't go around pretending that those things or a reason right. for us to be separate, yet the politicians do, and they use that to win elections, and nothing upsets me more in the political arena than that. And that's Nikki yeah, Blue and his small rant. <laughs> that's okay. You're allowed. It's your show. One thing I would just posit to think about is that 
that anger is dramatized fear. So imagine you're getting cut off on the freeway. You know, you're, you're going down and someone cuts you off and you almost like swerve off the road and you think you're going to die. The first reaction for most men is to give the guy the finger, to swear, to, you know, get really angry, road rage, all that. Guilty. But why? Underneath that, you were afraid you almost died. And so I think what happens is that underneath all anger, there's this fear. And so it's much easier to express the anger than to be vulnerable and express the fear. And you have a lot of people afraid right now. I mean, some of the people, why are people afraid of immigrants? They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their identity. They're going to lose the country as they know it. You've got people that are afraid of the other side, you know, because they're going to like keep, keep my people out. I mean, everybody's afraid of everybody right now. And so Underneath the fear is responsibility, and underneath that is love. And so we have to be willing to go underneath the anger and express, well, what are my fears? What are my concerns? And when you get really down to the deeper level of what I really want, we all want the same thing. We want our kids to grow up healthy. We want to feel safe in our schools. We want to have a job that, that matters, that you know is not like some minimum wage job at McDonald's for the rest of your life. You want something that's meaningful. You want to be loved. You want to have enough nutrition and medical care for your family. We all want the same things. We are over how to get there. But the fact is, underneath, we all pretty much value the same stuff, but we're afraid of each other because we're afraid. And this is where the politicians have been very successful. We've made They've made us afraid that that other person is going to take away what we already have and make it worse. And now I can control you because I will tell you that I'm not going to let them do that. You know, and then we build walls and we do all the stuff that doesn't work really. That doesn't, we're dealing with symptoms, not not causes. That's the challenge. And it's true in medicine. We deal with symptoms with pharmaceuticals. We don't deal with the root causes, which is everything from what we eat what we don't eat, the water we don't drink, the air we're breathing, the toxins that are in everything we do, the lack of uh, forgiveness, which creates toxic uh, energy in the body. Uh, you know, most of us are acidic because we have too much uh, cortisol in our body from the stress because we don't meditate. So those are the root causes of disease. And yet the pharmaceutical companies have convinced us that the symptoms can go away, which they do. A headache disappears, but the source of it doesn't go away. And the same thing is true with our social problems. You know, we can deal with, you know, some of the symptoms short term, but the real causes of why things aren't working are not being addressed. And the same thing in our business, same thing in our life. Great answer. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, I think it'd be great if Marianne Williamson won a Democratic nomination. I'd love to watch the <laughs> a Trump Williamson race. I think that'd be a lot of fun. It would be very, very interesting. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. That's for sure. She's, uh, you know, in in many ways, uh, she, she, she's completely different from Trump. But in, in some very important ways, they share some things. And one of them is they're they're both willing to speak the truth as they see it. Uh, and yeah. they're not trying to be some blow-dried politician saying the right thing and trying not to offend. Uh, they just they, they just see True. they say what they say. And uh, I, I listened to Marianne, and I, I got to be honest. When I first heard her, I thought this is good. This is crazy, but a lot of the things she said made a lot of sense. And I come from the Middle East. I'm Christian, and because of what's happened to uh, people of my background, I uh, was very much happy that someone like Trump was willing to go out there and, and take ISIS on and take them on hard. Um, mm -hmm. But um, it's a wonderful thing to see somebody talk about love in politics. And I, I hope it continues. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I think one of the things that's difficult 
in, in, in the work you do and the work I do and the work the people listening to this do is that we live in a world I call it short form media. You know, everyone's telling you now that, you know, TED Talk used to be 18 minutes. Now it's 12 minutes. And uh, I was going to write a blog once called A Tyranny of the TED Talk because <laughs> a lot of the things that we teach cannot be unpacked in three minutes. And, you know, our social media posts are supposed to be 30 seconds to three minutes long. You know, people's attention spans are really short now. And yet some of the things that are really most important, whether it's I have a book that has 67 success principles in it. That's not something you sit down and read, you know, in, in, in one, um, you know, subway ride in New York. But when you put it all together as a system, and I call a system doing the right thing in the right order in the right way at the right time. And if you do a system, a system always produces a predictable result, like a recipe. If you do it exactly the same, you know, you preheat the oven, you use the same ingredients, you don't change anything, you're always going to get the same result, the same cake, the same lasagna, the same whatever. And so most people, today are not, there's almost an impatience to learn the things that really matter, that are deep. I watched Marianne Williamson talk for an hour and a half the other day, and it was only about 45 minutes into it when I realized I needed to stop saying, well, I like her, but I can't see her in the White House, or I like her, but I, I, I can't see her winning, to she's the only person I can see in the White House. I do see her winning. You know, no one thought Trump would win. Why can't Marianne Williamson win? And so the same thing is true with our work. You know, most people think if they take one workshop or they go to one TED Talk or they listen to two broadcasts from you, that somehow their life's going to radically transform. And you and I know it's a journey. It takes time to implement these ideas. You don't become an overnight success. It takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything. And so I think that we're victimized by our media today, which is all short form, little dribs and drabs. And I think that people, if you want to be successful, you've got to study success. You have to listen to shows like yours week after week after week after week after week. You have to take the ideas that are shared and actually implement them. And then you have to look for the feedback. Did it work? What about it didn't work? You know, one of the things I teach people is a question that I think all entrepreneurs, all speakers, all coaches, all therapists, whatever, should be asking their clients, their spouse, their students, whatever, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate, then you fill in the blank, our relationship, this workshop, this podcast, my book, this seminar, whatever. And anything less than a 10 gets a follow-up question, which is what would it take to make it a 10? Mm. And most people never ask that question because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. I ask my wife that once a week, usually Friday, Saturday, or Sunday night, depending on when I'm home with travel. And I've gotten as low as a four. <laughs> it's, wow. not, it's, not, it's not fun to hear that, you know? She said, don't interrupt me when I'm telling a joke because you think you can tell the punchline better. I still think I can, but it's not good for my relationship. And then she said, one time she said, have you ever heard of foreplay? I said, yeah. She said, you need to revisit that. That would help make this a 10. You know? So <laughs> it's like, I'm sitting there. She's unhappy with our sex life at that point. Not anymore. But the point was, I didn't know it. And so if I don't ask that question, and most people don't ask the question because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. And as I tell people, you're the only one that doesn't know. My wife had told her sister, her mother, her girlfriends, probably someone in a nail salon she was sitting next to. But if I don't know, I can't fix it. 
And so there's a lot of steps to becoming successful. It's not just one thing. And so, like you said, you've read 90 books so far this year. I've read 3,000 books in my life. And every book, if I got one workable idea, one operational thing I could do, that was worth it. And so we have to be willing to, to play the long game. And, and, and be convinced that we can do it and use all the tools that are available, but not give up too soon and be willing to, uh, you know, take in the feedback, persevere. We're going to fall down. Wow. Like I said, Jack, I could just shut up and just let you talk. <laughs> Throwing a question here or there. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, oh, this you. is one of the principles in the success principles. I remember you talking about it. Uh, in right. that book, and it's brilliant. You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call my lady. And I'm gonna ask her that question tonight. Okay, I'm a little afraid of what the answer is gonna be, but I'm going for it. <laughs> so, thank you again. So, well, you you interviewed you interviewed Cam Blanchard, and I love Cam Blanchard's quote. He says, "Feedback is the breakfast of champions." Yeah, that's right. He did say that. Great guy. Great guy. I love Ken. So, Jack, you're actually doing a tour, and you're going to be coming to, to my city. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about it, and let's put that information in the show notes so people can access it. Sure. I'm doing a, a four-city tour right now starting next week, and we're going to Newark, to Atlanta, to Toronto, and to Salt Lake City. And it's a, the, the name of the uh, workshop I'll be doing. It's a day-long workshop, usually about 9 to about 5.30 or 6, and it's called uh, One Day to Greatness. And the idea is I'm going to be teaching the basic steps of this system I teach of success. We have a 10 or 12 principles that we'll cover that are really basics that are enough. If you just apply those, the promise I make is you can double your income and triple your time off in one year or less. It's not just about income. You could double the quality of your relationships, find more free time, have greater spiritual growth, uh, be healthier, lose weight. You know, whatever your goals are, I'll, I'll have you set what we call it. A breakthrough goal. What, what's a goal that if you achieve it in the next year would be a major breakthrough for you, like publishing a book, having your own radio show, losing 50 pounds, you know, finding the love of your life, you know, your soulmate, whatever. And then I'll teach you the steps for how to do that, the, the tools to use to actually accomplish that. And you'll leave with that. And there'll be opportunities also to, uh, you know, connect with accountability partners for mastermind groups. And then also, to be in a follow-up program with us where we can support you and assist you if you should choose to take the next level. And also we'll be talking about our Train the Trainer program where we're now training people both online and also in person uh, with our live trainings uh, to become facilitators and trainers of this work I do. And they always say, if you want to learn something, learn to teach it because then you really learn it. And so we'll be talking about that as well. There's VIP tickets that include lunch and a Q&A session with me at lunch. And there's general admission tickets. And I believe, I won't swear to this, but I believe there's still some tickets available. We call buy one, get one free, where you can bring a guest uh, for the price of one person. And all you have to do is go to jackcanfieldlive.com or in the case of any city like Toronto, just jackcanfieldtoronto.com or jackcanfieldlive.com and you can sign up. And uh, it, it's an amazing day. It's a day that people look back and say, that was the day my life changed. Wow. So, listener, this is Jack Canfield, and he's teaching you the principles that have helped him 
overachieve again and again and again. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. And Jack, in Toronto, actually, you're doing your event at the same hotel that we're doing a uh, uh, an exclusive mastermind event that we do for our clients four times a year. And we finish cool. on the Friday, and then you're going to be doing yours on the Saturday. So maybe I'll chat with you offline. I'd love to, to find a way to get together. I, I would love to come to the event. Usually on the Saturday after my events, I crash. <laughs> But uh, I, I may make a, an exception and in, 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 uh, in come to yours because I think it's, it sounds like an incredible event. It sounds like it'd be a great opportunity to, to rub shoulders with the great Jack Canfield once yeah. again. Love you to know. have you come. Yeah, yeah. Bring, I, I, I'll make a deal with you. I bring five of your people and then you can come for free as my guest. God bless your heart. And here's, here's the deal. I don't want you to crash. I want you to ascend. This is what's possible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, but you know what I mean. After doing like an intense three-day thing, I just I usually go home and I just like read a book or have a Netflix marathon or something uh, the day after. But uh, I think – uh, let, let's chat for a minute after after the show. But I, I, I want to tell you, listener, you definitely want to do this. I may be coming to the Toronto event. Jack's, Jack's very close to persuading me. And in any event – Make sure that you go visit Jack Canfield Live or Jack Canfield Toronto. And if you're in Toronto, if you're in Newark, if you're in Salt Lake City, definitely make sure that you take advantage of this. This sounds like an absolutely incredible opportunity to learn from the great Jack Canfield. And I would just say this too, Nick, if you can't come for any reason, at least get a copy of the book, The Success Principles. As you said, it's something you've listened to, I think you said like 50 times, times or something. 200 times. 200 times. But that book will change your life as well as the seminar. So at least do 100%. one of those two things. 100%. I buy about 1,500 books a year to give away. I've been um, making sure that I find great books for people. And recently, we, we managed to pick up a lot of great books from a lot of great authors. But uh, I think I'm going to go find 20 copies of the Success Principles, and I'm going to give them away to my clients because uh, it's been a seminally powerful book for me, and I think it'll make a big difference for them as well. So, Jack, we like to end off each and every one of our episodes by asking you, our guest expert thought leader, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on to improve their life for their business? Well, if you haven't written a book yet, even a short one about what you do, it makes you an instant expert in the eyes of people. Make sure you do that. A lot of times people think they can't do that because they have nothing new to say, but you have to say it in your way to your people in the niche that you work in. I think the second thing I would say is practice the rule of five, which I talked briefly about. Every day, do five action steps, even if they're really small, but five things a day toward the fulfillment of your major goal or your major purpose or your major mission. And at the end of the year, you'll have done like about 1,800 action steps. So that's really critical. That's what gets you there. It's the action over time consistently and persistently that will get you there. And then the last thing I would say is you have to have an accountability partner. An accountability partner is someone you talk to at least five days a week, every day for five days. Some people do it six. Take one day off for your spiritual rest. And then what happens is you 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 commit to the five things you're going to do that that day. You usually do it in the morning. You can do it the night before. And then I, if I were doing it with Nikki, I would say, here's my five action steps. He would tell me what his is. Tomorrow, I'd say, Nikki, did you achieve all those? He'd tell me what he did or didn't do. I'd say, were you willing to recommit to those you didn't do? And it's very interesting because if I don't do something for three days, and I know on Friday, I got to tell Nikki one more time I didn't do it, it's too embarrassing. I get it done. 
you know, if 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 uh, Revenue Canada said send in your money whenever whenever you want to, no one would ever send it in. And so what happens is they put a date on it, and we all get busy like a month before doing our taxes. And so by having deadlines and being accountable to somebody other than yourself, because we can't trust ourselves, we don't do the hard things. Um, then what happens is you're going to get much much more successful. You know what? Those are fantastic expert action steps, and I'm making a commitment to you that I'm taking on the the, the accountability partner. I actually am part of a men's organization, and we have what we call buddies. And our job is to talk to our buddy once a week and go over things like this. But I'm going to enroll my buddy in us doing this daily, having a real quick check-in with the rule of five. I think that's super powerful, and it's going to make a big difference because I've got a couple of things that I need to do uh, in terms of launching our new program for uh, clinicians. We're calling it Million Dollar Clinic. We're super, super excited about it. And for us to get it to where we need it to go, it needs to move faster than it has been moving. And this will be a great way to do it. So once again, thank you, Jack. God bless your heart for this. This has been an incredible interview for me. I've learned a ton. And listener, you know, this is Jack Canfield. He's the real deal. What he's telling you is going to work. Make sure that if you're able to make any of the dates that he has for his four city tour work, that you take advantage of it. If you live in my home city of Toronto, you got to go to his event. It, it, it absolutely is something that uh, you got to do. You know what, Jack? I'm, I'm going to make a commitment right here. Um, I, I'm going to actually buy one of your VIP tickets, and I'm going to raffle, uh, not raffle it off in terms of like ask people to pay for it, but I'm going to put it up as a prize for my mastermind clients. And I'm going to say, look, I've got a ticket for you to go see Jack Canfield VIP experience. And we're, we're going to put that out there for them as a carrot for them to get. So I'm going to do that. And if you are wondering to yourself, is it possible for me to live life as the best version of myself, like Jack is living life as the best version of himself? The answer to that question is 1000% yes. And if you have fear, uncertainty, or doubt around this, I want to offer you something. And this is what I want to offer you. I want to offer you an opportunity to be inspired to go after that best version of yourself. So the first thing I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to do is to go to our website, which is called ecircleacademy.com and watch a webinar masterclass that I have. It's a button right in the middle of the page. You can't miss it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a blue button and it says watch webinar. So click on that and watch that. And that webinar is going to give you some inspiration. It's also going to give you some practical steps that you can take to help you live life as the best version of yourself and take your business to the next level. And if that's inspired you and you want help, I'm going to offer you something else. And that's to get on a call with me. There's another button again on that website in the top right-hand corner. And then another one in the middle of the page above the webinar button, which says, jump on a success call. Click on that button go to the form, pick a time that works for you, and you can get on a call with myself. This call is absolutely free. I'm offering it to you because I have a, a mission to help a thousand people live life as the best version of themselves and create at least a seven-figure a year income. I've done it for about six people so far. I've got 994 more to go. Why not have one of them be you? So take advantage of that. And to find out more about Jack's programs and to find out more about his four city tour and how you can get a ticket, go to the show notes at the thoughtleaderrevolution.com. Make sure you go to Jack Canfield Live or jackcanfieldtoronto.com and you take advantage of this. This is not something that he does all the time. I can tell you this right now. He doesn't go out there and do a ton of tours. Make sure that you take advantage of this. Make sure that you get to 
imbibed from this man and his wisdom. Proximity is power. Tony Robbins said the law of proximity is the reason he went from making 10 million a year to being a billionaire. So if you want to get to be the best version of yourself, you need to be around someone like Jack Canfield. Charlie Tremendous Jones said, you're going to be the same person you are in five years, except for two things, the books you read and the people you hang around. Well, get a copy of the success principles and go hang out with Jack Canfield and you're going to be all set. Jack, thanks for being on the show, my friend. My pleasure, Nikki. It was fun. It absolutely was. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Jack Canfield, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Go to the show notes. Find out about his events coming up in Toronto and the other cities that he talked about. Go to jackcanfieldlive.com and jackcanfieldtoronto.com. Make sure you pick up a copy of The Success Principles. In fact, pick up five giveaway four to your friends and family and clients. Until next time, goodbye.